afraid to be said, it's read by someone without a tie. Um, <laughs> is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through to chapter 5, verse 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given by Christ as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower regions? He also said, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I tell you this, And insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Good afternoon. It's uh, great to be with you. And as parents, Christine and I would really want to thank you for your welcome and uh, your love that you've already shown to Tim and Beth. That uh, means so much to us, and we thank God for you. Well, regarding his induction this afternoon, when Tim asked me to speak, and it's a great honour, uh, I said to Tim, well, I, there is one thing I don't want to do, uh, and that is I don't want to preach to you, as I've often heard ministry at other induction services. I said, because if you don't know what being a pastor is by now, it's no good me preaching it to you and telling you. Uh, I said, it needs to be a message for the church, and Tim agreed that that was what we need to think about this morning. So given we both agree that we need to think about God's word together as God's people, we come to this wonderful chapter in Ephesians that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church. And I want to consider three principles, and hopefully they will appear on the screen all at once. Uh, now, don't go to sleep because all three of them are up there. Um, I didn't realise my PowerPoint wouldn't work on, on your system, so you've got all three points up at the same time. Uh, but I want to pick out three principles that the Apostle Paul teaches us in the reading that we just had. Our reading was bookended, I don't know whether you noticed that, with verses in which the Apostle Paul appeals to the church uh, that they should live a life worthy of its calling, and then that the church should follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sandwiched in between those two bookends is, is another principle, and it's the first point that is up on the screen and I think it's important that we remember this, that we are all serving King Jesus. Sometimes we don't remember that, do we? And it's an obvious statement, perhaps, to make. But I don't know whether you noticed that in the reading, the Apostle Paul quotes from uh, Psalm 68. Uh, he says this verse, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. That quote from Psalm 68 comes from a psalm which is a psalm of triumph for the occasion when the Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Jerusalem and for the victories that God had given to Israel's King David. And in Psalm 68, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back. And verse 24 of that psalm describes the celebration of the people as they saw the Ark coming into view and ascending back up the hill to the temple. However, Psalm 68 also portrays for us the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Ark of the Covenant, most of you I'm sure will know this, was a sign of God's dwelling among his people. Psalm 68 also talks about what we might call the antitype to the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And just as the Ark ascended up to the hill in Jerusalem, so too the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended back up into heaven. 
and he has received tribute from people. He's received gifts of praise and worship for what he has done on behalf of people. And he even received gifts of tribute from those who at one time were rebellious, Psalm 68 says. And now as Paul writes to the Ephesians, uh, he thinks about that time when the Lord Jesus Christ returned to the Father. He also, he's got a busy mind, the Apostle Paul, because he also thinks about a common practice by Roman generals who, when they returned home from a successful war campaign, uh, would parade through the streets of their city and would take pride of place up on a platform and they would show all the plunder that they had captured and they would distribute the plunder to the soldiers who had fought alongside them in the war. And different gifts would be given to different people. And so the business of the Apostle Paul's mind, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes to the Ephesians here. And so he puts, if you like, the risen and ascended Lord Jesus into the role of that Roman general. And he says, look, he's actually the one who has ascended. He's the one who now is seated on the throne, on heaven's throne. And and the reason he's up there is because he's also the one who descended to the lower earthly regions. And on the cross, he defeated our enemies. He defeated sin and death and hell. And now because he's ascended triumphantly, although in Psalm 68... Uh, we, we read that he, gave, that he received gifts from men. The Apostle Paul now puts it into a, what we might say a gospel way and says that the Lord Jesus, like the Roman general, gives gifts. He gives gifts to his people so that we might do the good works that God has already planned in advance for us to do. And of course, as we read through that passage in Ephesians 4 and as Bob alluded to in the induction part of the service for Tim, Uh, God has given the gift of leaders to the church. And without making too fine a point on it, I want you to just realise Tim is God's gift to you. Um, Make of that what you will. Now, I don't want you to get too fixated on Tim being God's gift to you because there's something uh, far more important, really, that we need to think about. As Paul has in mind this picture of the Roman general... Standing before the Roman general were all the people he took captive. There was a great triumphant procession. And the Roman general paraded all the people that had been captured during his campaign. And Paul says, actually, we are like these people. The Lord Jesus is our king. We have been captivated by him. Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians, doesn't he? He says, thanks be to God, who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And of course, as Christians, we know that we're called to be followers of the Lord Jesus. And we know that's what the Bible tells us. But this afternoon, I want us to think, do we actually realise that we are captives of the Lord Jesus as well? You see, in the great battle that he fought on our behalf, when he fought the battle that made it possible for us to be taken from darkness and brought into his marvellous light, do we realise that because of what he has done for us, we are his captives? For we belong to him, just like the captives belong to the Roman general. Now we belong to Jesus. We're his. We're not our own. 
But of course, there's a difference, isn't there? We're not slaves like the uh, people who would be in the triumphal procession of a Roman general. We're not slaves. We're not slaves in the, cha- in the sense of being in chains and mistreated. We're not miserable wretches, but we're sinners who are saved by grace, who love our Savior, King Jesus. And so just pause for a moment and reflect what that might mean for you and for me. As captives of the risen and ascended Jesus Christ, it means that as his people, we're not about serving our own self-interests. And as we use the gifts that God has given to us, We shouldn't use them in selfish ways or to further our own ends. The Bible is quite clear, isn't it? Whatever we do, we should do for him and for his glory. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that actually we are captives of the risen Christ. He's the hero, we're not. And what a powerful picture that presents to us. And on this induction day, I wonder, are we willing to be captive in that sense? Willing to be captive of Christ and part of his triumphal procession? Can you picture the scene? There you are, Jesus, leading his prized possession. The people he's ransomed and captured to be his own. And you're part of a number that cannot be counted. Part of a great number of people who are captured out of Satan's grip to be his. And as a willing captive, every sense of power and position... Every ambitious thought of our own personalities are reined in. We're no longer our own because we belong to the king. Our life is no longer ours. We're focused on him. We're focused on his glory, not on ourselves. And using the gifts that he has given to us, we serve and magnify his name together. You know, my prayer is that as you begin this new period in the life of the church here, And as we back at Rickstones continue to serve the Lord Jesus there, that we may have that picture in our hearts and minds, for we're all serving King Jesus. The second thing, and it's the first of the bookends, is that we're all one in King Jesus. We see that very clearly from the passage, don't we? Uh, It's a really catchy soundbite, and uh, it might be, well, we're all one in King Jesus, but as long as I'm in my little corner and you're in your little corner, then everything's going to work out fine. But that's not always the case, is it? We may be one in Christ Jesus, but sometimes being one with another is often a different story. Unity in the church isn't a foregone conclusion. It doesn't just automatically happen. The Apostle Paul tells us that we have to cultivate and develop certain qualities and attitudes. Paul wants us to remember that we've been chosen and called by God, that we are one in him. And because of that, we can't just relate to each other in any way that we see fit. It's often a challenge, isn't it? Yes, we're all captives. We're all in this same triumphal procession of King Jesus, but we're not clones. We're not all identical. We are all different. And in all honesty, we relate to others easier than some. You should have been in the minibus that I was driving on the way here. (laughs) But because of what God has done, the Apostle Paul lists the qualities and the attitudes that we should display. He lists them in verses 2 and 3. He says, be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, the challenge here is not just for the leadership, for the elders and for the deacons. It's for all of us. Uh, It's for the whole church, the people who are captives of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make every effort to keep the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. It's for every one of us to cultivate and develop these qualities and attitudes. For we're all serving and we're all one in King Jesus. Now, although unity isn't a foregone conclusion because it takes effort, the Apostle Paul's pain goes, is at pains to show us that actually unity is a completely rational and logical thing because unity already exists in heaven. There's unity within the Godhead of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so because we've been saved by grace through faith, we're people who are part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to him, but we also belong to each other. Look what Paul says in verses 4 through to 6. There's one spirit. You see, there's one spirit who brings us to faith in Christ. Each of our journeys to faith would have been different. We've all come in different ways, but we all come through the same spirit who applies the work of God's grace to our hearts. There's one hope. Earlier on in the book, the Apostle Paul has written about the hope that we have as Christians. In chapter 1 and verse 18, it's the the riches of his glorious inheritance, the inheritance of the saints. And and as we are together and one in the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have that same hope to look forward to. A hope that's grounded in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen and ascended and is now seated on the throne, interceding for us. There's also only one Lord. There is only one Lord in the church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There should be no other Lord. And the reason he is the Lord is because we were chosen by him and called by him and redeemed by him. There's only one faith as well. In the induction service, as as the church secretary read through the, the basis of faith, that declaration of the truths on which we stand for. We, we rely and we trust on the same things, don't we? On God's word. And true faith doesn't separate us. It brings us together. There's only one baptism as well, says the Apostle Paul. We receive that baptism when we first believe. And Paul says it's totally possible and rational for unity to exist within the church because no one has a more spiritual conversion than anybody else. Again, our conversion experiences are different. But my conversion experience is as good as yours. We're all one. And then that section ends. Unity in the church is possible because there is one God and Father of all, who is over all and who is through all and who is in all. And so as people who are captives of the risen and ascended Jesus as people who have been saved by grace through faith in him alone. We all gather around the same throne to worship the same God, to worship the same Father and the same Holy Spirit ministering within our hearts and lives. For he is our King. He's above us and he's in us. And so we are one. And then the last bookend at the very end of the section that David read to us. Paul 
calls us to follow the example of King Jesus. You're probably glad I'm not doing a verse-by-verse exposition of this chapter because we could be here for some time, and I'm doing really well at time just at the moment. We're to follow the example of King Jesus. It's the second bookend of the passage, and perhaps one of the most well-known descriptions of the Lord Jesus and the example of him is in Philippians 2, that well-known passage where Paul says, look, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be hung onto at all cost and used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself to death on a cross. But to us and to the church in Ephesus, look what Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 32. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. As Jesus lived, and as he died, and as he rose again, he was true to himself. When people encountered Jesus, they got the real deal. Uh, They saw him for who he truly was. If any of you are bookworms, you may know that Matt Fuller, the senior minister at Christchurch in Mayfair, has just released a book. Uh, And it's called Be True to Yourself. In that book, he explores how we can find true happiness and true freedom in embracing who God has called us to be. And as we allow ourselves to be shaped by God's word speaking into our hearts and lives. Now, the Apostle Paul says exactly the same thing to the Ephesians and to us. He says, be true to yourself. Practice being what you are. God's dearly loved children. You see, as captives of the risen and ascended Christ, we're not only set free to serve him, but we're set free to live for him too. We're set free from worldly values. We're spiritual people. And the Apostle Paul says we don't think in the the way that the world thinks. It's a futile way of thinking. We think and live by a different set of rules and values. Our life is shaped and built upon God's word. And so we're to follow the example of King Jesus. Paul outlines the framework of those rules. Chapter 4, verse 25, right down to 32. Just look at some of them. Put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbour. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't steal, but work. Do something useful with your hands. Share with people who are in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building others up. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander with every form of malice. Get rid of those things and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, my friends, this is a high calling. It's an incredibly high calling, and the bar is very, very high. And of course, there is no such thing as a perfect church. If there was, I'd be here instead of Tim. (laughs) But I want you to just think of this. We are all serving King Jesus. We are one in King Jesus, and we are to follow the example of King Jesus as his people. 
Paul explains how we might be able to do that in chapter 4 and verses 23 and 24. He says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, because you have been created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. And you know, my friends, if only we can attain to a fraction of that. Uh, If only church and the body of Christ could attain to a fraction of such a calling, what a church we would be. May God in his infinite grace and mercy incline our hearts and our ears to his word today. Tim and Beth, as we commend you to the church here, may God make you a blessing and may God bless you. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and forever. And together we can say, Amen. Amen.